This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon and Julian McKenzie on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, it's hour two on a Friday in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Logan Gordon, Julian McKenzie along with you. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. Well, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. You can contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit DLBasementSystems.com. We broke down the Flames and the Leafs from Thursday night in Hour 1. Talked about that controversial hand pass, if you will. Talked a little bit about the Flames and the Oilers. We'll get more on the Oilers coming up here in Hour 2. Also chatted with Cassie Campbell Pascal ahead of the 24th edition of Hockey Day in Canada on Saturday, which concludes with the Flames and the Oilers. So if you missed any of that, check us out on the podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. We would love to have you along for the ride. We are everywhere. Everywhere. You Anywhere and everywhere. You can't get rid of us. Uh, hell no. Nowhere. No, no chance of that. Many lifetimes, Logan Gordon. <laughs> we will be around for many lifetimes. Uh, fan feedback line open to you at 960-960. would love to hear from you on the text line this afternoon. Got two outstanding producers holding down the fort, Cam and Shan, this afternoon. We're kicking off this hour, heading down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to get you set for another exciting weekend of NFL football. Couple of great games on tap for Saturday and Sunday as we're into the divisional round of the playoffs. And when we chat NFL, always great to chat it with our next guest, host of the fan checkdown, and sitting in for Jeff Merrick this week on the Jeff Merrick show. Uh, it's our pal from Sportsnet 590, Matt Marchese, joining us. What's up, Matty? Talk about a guy that you can't get rid of. I mean, I, I, that's, a, that's a lot of Matt Marchese on the network over the last three days. People are like, oh, this guy again? Really? Well, look, better, yeah. better, to, be, better to be in those positions and in demand yeah, better than to be not be, right? Not. Yeah, I don't know, man. I know. I know. I know, guys. I, I'm trying to take the positive from this. I, not that I don't. I love doing it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, it's just like. I'll tell you the hardest thing that I've ever done in my career. And for those that don't know, I've been, I've been around a long time, just behind the scenes and whatever. Um, actually it'll be 12 years that I've been employed at the fan in Toronto, uh, in a couple of weeks. Wow. But the hardest thing that I've had to do is try and cover two leagues, the NFL <laughs> and the NHL. My wife is like, I can't wait till football season's over because then you get to focus on one sport and you could just do hockey and not both. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty chaotic. I mean, it's good because I, I learn a lot from Jeff and how to, uh, to manage topics and time and stuff like that. So, uh, no, it's been fun. It's been a lot, but it's been fun. And, uh, hey, it's divisional round weekend in, in the NFL, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Before we ask you questions about uh, the NFL, I got to mention, you, you talk about your longevity at Sportsnet. I remember back in the day when I was still a university student doing podcasts, like asking you for, for contacts for guests on my show. So it's just a testament to, to, to how good you are in this game, my man. And uh, thank you for all that help all these years ago. Just want that. Said. Uh, uh, you're making me blush. You're making me <laughs> blush to this beard. And you know what? I mean, you listen, you've worked hard to get where you have. Yeah. You're covering a hockey team. Like that's pretty yeah. darn cool. In Calgary. And I'm not even, I'm not I, even in Montreal anymore. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. And so it's, but it's funny. And this is what I say to people. Like anybody that asks for, you know, I, I do not that I do a lot of interviews for, people for you know when they have assignments or whatever in college or university but i get asked to do a few and the one thing that i always tell people and this is our conversation right now is exactly this mm -hmm. this industry is so small yep. and even though it seems so big you run into people that you know you you had conversations with in in your past and whatever and now you and i are having this conversation probably what seven maybe probably seven years ago i want to say seven years nine, ago, something would, like that. it would be like six like nine nine years at least because uh okay I, so there yeah. so there you go this is how old i am i'm starting to lose it a little bit this is how old and, i am um, yeah and so and so that's part of the conversation right like you treat people with respect there's no reason to be a jerk like you just 
you never know, hey, one day I might work for you, you know, and that's how I kind of look at it. So it's not good to burn bridges, but listen, uh, you've done a great job. You continue to do a great job. So I know this sounds like a gush session here. Um, and Logo, I love yeah, you Yeah, you're too. both Don't great. Worry. You guys are so <laughs> good. You've got this long history. You've achieved so much. Yeah, you guys are great. Well, I love you guys I love, so I love, much. I love Logo because he, I, we talked and I'm like, hey, if you ever need anybody, he's like, man, let's do a weekly segment. I'm like, all right, I'm in. Let's go. Now, Logo is one of the one of the great people uh, here at 960 as well. Okay, while it is great that we're gushing and, and and praising each other here, we should talk about the gridiron. We should talk about the divisional round for the NFL. And before we get into the divisional, oh, round, you got something else? Well, you we, I want to start with Antonio Pierce before we get. Oh, into we got to get into him too. You're right. Feels like the big news of the day right now. Yes, you're right. Is the Raiders say that they have their guy? Schefter's all over it. Uh, he came in on an interim basis last year, Maddie. Five and four record. Uh, but he certainly got uh, the support of some key players in Las Vegas. Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, Max Crosby were all publicly voicing their support for Antonio Pierce. Is this the right hire going forward for the Raiders? I think so. And, and part of the reason is this. When we look at what's happened in the past, like they hired John Gruden, and that doesn't work out for different reasons other than what happened on the football field. But also, I mean... They, they tried it with Josh McDaniels. They tried to run him back with another, you know, bigger name head coach. And after John Gruden left, Rich Versace did a great job with that Raiders team. Helped them get into the playoffs. Like, let's not forget, they beat the, they beat the Chargers to get into the playoffs that year. And everybody's like, oh, Rich Versace, he did such a great job with this group. Maybe he'll get the job. Well, no, Josh McDaniels is available, Josh McDaniels gets the job. And then, you know, Josh McDaniels loses the job because apparently he's an egomaniac and thinks that everybody should be, you know, the Patriots of five years ago. Um, but not everybody operates like that. And Antonio Pierce comes in, seems like a player's coach. The players obviously love him. And they had better success with him as the guy. You know, in a lot of cases, players don't like being overshadowed by their coach. And I think this, you know, perceived larger than life figure that was John Gruden and then the perceived larger than life figure, or at least in his own brain in Josh McDaniels. Well, the players don't like that. And you see how the players responded to playing for Antonio Pierce. And he did a great job considering if we're being honest here, guys, the Raiders were not a very good football team. They did not have a quarterback that was worth anything. Um, And that's no disrespect to Aiden O'Connell, but let's face it. He's not a franchise quarterback. He's never going to be that guy. And so I think that Antonio Pierce did a good job. I also think after they decided – sorry, my daughter is going to uh, – Don't apologize for that. <laughs> um, um, the, you know, they, they, they bring him in and the players respond and you look at it and you say, okay, we didn't have success with the big-name guys. So maybe we need to look at our process as a – as an ownership group, well, ownership, Mark Davis needs to look at his process and say, is this the right move for this group? And obviously having players like Devontae Adams and Max, and Max Crosby more than anyone, because Max Crosby basically said, if you don't bring him back, I'm not playing for your organization. And that's something, there's something to be said about the importance of Max Crosby in that locker room as well. I think it's the right hire. I, I mean, we could all be proven wrong. But I'd love to see what Antonio Pierce does with a quarterback. And by all accounts, from from what I've seen online, uh, they haven't retained any of the offensive staff. So he's going to be able to build his own staff here, bring in an offensive-minded guy, and really help with this group. And I'd be curious to see what they do at quarterback. That's where this thing is either going to go very well for them because they already have the built-in alpha receiver, um, or it's going to go very poorly. So they need to get the quarterback position settled up. But I think bringing Antonio Pierce back is the right move. So Las Vegas figures out its coaching situation. I'm curious about, in particular, two names that are out there and available. Uh, One guy just won a national championship with Michigan and might fancy himself a return back to the NFL. And the other guy I'm thinking of may be the greatest NFL coach in all time. How do you think it shakes out for Jim Harbaugh and Bill Belichick? Well, I pray that Jim Harbaugh ends up with the Chargers because I had a report back in September. I think it was after week two, maybe, um, that he was high on the Chargers list, that he had actually approached someone 
um, within his inner circle, and I mean like very inner circle, someone that's very well connected to Jim Harbaugh, and asked them basically to move out to L.A. with them if he decided to basically take the Chargers job if Brandon Staley got fired. Well, Brandon Staley got fired and it opened up the door. Um, I still think that Harbaugh ends up in L.A. with the Chargers. He's accomplished everything he can with Michigan. He could go back there and make all that money, but the other thing, too, is, you know, and it's part of the conversation that, you know, people had with Nick Saban. This NIL money that's in there, basically college football has turned professional, and that's not what these guys want, especially some of the older guys like a Nick Saban. Whereas as Jim Harbaugh, he dealt with a lot of these, you know, sanctions that he had and he got suspended. I just don't see a situation where he wants to go back to that in Michigan, especially after winning a national championship. Now, had they lost, that's a different story, but they won. I think he's ready to move on. As for Belichick, the Atlanta thing, it looks like it's done. Um, And I think it's an interesting fit because the defense and some of the players that they have there are really solid. And I think it's a group that Belichick can work with. I'd be curious to see who they bring in as their offensive coordinator, uh, <coughs> Josh McDaniels is available. I wonder if he goes there. Oh, boy. Um, and yeah, and somebody uh, actually Donovan pointed it out on the show. He said, unless it's Tom Brady going to play quarterback, I don't think Josh McDaniels is going to have a lot of success, um, which is very ironic. Um, but it's, it's interesting to me. They have really good skill position guys, you know, Kyle Pitts and Bijan Robinson and Drake London. The big question is, is what they would do at quarterback. And if Bill Belichick is going there, guys, they're bringing in a veteran guy before they draft anybody. They'll draft a really good player at number eight, and they'll be happy with it. Maybe it's another skill position guy. Maybe it's a guy on defense, and they'll be fine with that. They'll roll with a veteran quarterback. Maybe a guy like Kirk Cousins says, you know what? I think I have a chance to win. The division's not very good. I get to play in a dome, and I get to stay in the NFC, which I'm very familiar with. So I think that's it's a very interesting spot for Belichick, but I think he ends up in Atlanta. It just makes too much sense. And Arthur Blank seems like the type of owner that would let him do his thing, uh, unlike that guy in Dallas, and they brought back Mike McCarthy, so that's <laughs> off the table. But I think that I think Harbaugh to the Chargers and Bill Belichick to the Falcons are the one that makes the most sense. And I'll give credit to Donovan, um, which I don't want to do too much about. I don't want to make his head swell. But he called, as soon as Bill Belichick became available – he called Atlanta as a great landing spot for him, and it looks like that's going to come to fruition. I, I'll, I'll say this. Josh McDaniels is one thing. What if, like, Bill tries to, like, get the whole party together and gets, like, Matt Patricia and, and, and Joe oh, Judge? I, oh, man. If that happens, oh, like, I'm going to start applying for NFL coaching. <laughs> no, like, I'm sorry, but, like, and it's, look, I'm not – I don't have the acumen to be an NFL coach. I love the NFL. I could never neither coach. Neither do I, but neither do they. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. Like, if you're the Atlanta Falcons, if I'm a Falcons fan already living with dread, knowing that being a Falcons fan must be hell. You just went through a season with Arthur Smith as your head coach, and you have all these great weapons at your disposal, and they weren't really used to their full advantage. And look, Bill Belichick is as great as he is. Am I really that excited about Bill Belichick with Josh McDaniels, Joe Judge, and Matt Patricia? I'm not excited. I'm not for it. I'm dreading it. I would just jump ship and just be a Saints fan or something. No. Well, well, here, here's, the, here's the only thing. The thing that I look, look at here is you mentioned it. They just went through another season of Arthur Smith, the guy who ruins football fun. So Bill Belichick at least comes in with pedigree and has uh, Super Bowl rings that he could say, well, look what I've done. Whereas Arthur Smith couldn't do that. So, so that's why... And, and I think that Bill Belichick, I, I feel like he's learned something over the last few years without Tom Brady. One, you need a good quarterback to win in this league. But two, I, I wonder if he's learned to defer to other guys. And maybe he's also learned like, okay, I like Josh McDaniels as a person. I like Matt Patricia as a person. I like Joe Judge as a person. But clearly, they haven't had success outside of this Patriots you know, bubble that we lived in. And now I wonder if he's going to look at it and say, I need to do something different because let's also not forget guys. He's chasing the NFL all-time coaching wins record. Very true. That is part of this. So he's not going to go to a situation where a, he doesn't think he can win. And I mean, the NFC South, even though my prediction before the season was, yeah, there'll be two teams again into the playoffs because the rest of the NFC sucks. Um, the NFC South is very winnable. You look at the, there's so much turmoil 
with the Saints. They're a tire fire. The Panthers are a tire fire. The owner's a maniac. And then you look at the Bucs and you say, well, yeah, the Bucs got into the playoffs, but they had to win the division. It's not like they were, you know, they didn't run away with anything. So it's a division that is, you can win. It's very winnable. And I think that if Atlanta had a quarterback, like guys, if Atlanta had Kirk Cousins and not Arthur Smith coaching that team last year, would they not have made the playoffs? I think you could make the case that they would have. So I think there's some optimism. And it's, again, this is a much better option than what we had. And I still think that there's another, there's another chapter to be written here for Bill Belichick, much like there was another chapter to be written for Tom Brady outside of New England. So that's the coaching news that we're still waiting on for a lot of teams. As we focus in on the divisional games that start this weekend, Matt, you got two on Saturday, Texans and the Ravens, Packers and the 49ers. Let's start with the Texans and the Ravens. This is probably going to be the biggest test for C.J. Stroud in his rookie season, going into Baltimore against a rested Ravens team. Like This feels like the biggest challenge he'll have to face uh, coming into the NFL, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, and you know, there was last week was that conversation as well, albeit it was a home game. Um, but I think there's something to be said about the team that is playing well and having to play battle tested football for a long period of time. The Houston Texans have had to play basically playoff games the whole season. Whereas the Ravens, you know, they were kind of home and cleared by like week 12. Not that they were, you know, they had home field clinched or anything like that, but they were comfortably in a playoff spot to the point where they clinched home field throughout the, the AFC champ, uh, AFC playoffs, as long as obviously they don't lose. Um, and they had that seed. They didn't play a bunch of their starters in week 18. And now Lamar Jackson hasn't played for three weeks. Like that's something that I don't think is talked about enough because offense is built on timing. And if you haven't been, you know, on the field playing live game action for three weeks, you're going to be a little bit rusty. Whereas I look at the, the Texans, and again, they've been playing playoff football for a long time. They had to win in the final week of the season, that Saturday game against the Colts, just to get in. Um, am I saying that the Texans are flat out just going to go and, and beat the heck out of the Baltimore Ravens? No, but I look at the spread and I see nine and a half points, and I see a team that I don't think is going to, I don't think the Ravens are covering nine and a half points. I actually picked the Texans to win on the show today just because CJ Stroud's playing at a high level. The defense is playing great and they played really well in that Browns game. I just, I think that there is, there is something about this Texans team that I look at and I say, they're a really tough out. And if I'm the Ravens, I'm not super like, this isn't an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. Not that I believe that they think it is, but I'm boy, oh boy, all the pressure is on the Ravens here. The Texans are playing with house money guys. Like that's a team that you should be afraid of is with a really good quarterback. In my opinion, a top five quarterback already in the NFL. And he's coming into your building after you haven't played for three weeks and he's red hot. I don't know. That's a lot of pressure on them. And and specifically on Lamar Jackson. Don't forget Lamar Jackson's one and three in his career in the playoffs. Wait, who else is in your top five quarterbacks? Uh, that would be Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and not in any sort of order. Sure. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, CJ Stroud, and I have Lamar in there as well. Okay. All right. I, I, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good top five. I'm, I don't know why that I feel like there's some name that should be burning in the back of my head being like, Hey, this guy should be in the top well, five. Like people, yes, some people will argue Justin Herbert. Jalen Hurts. They'll ar- argue Justin Herbert. The difference is, is that CJ. I, <laughs> I, I mean, no, I love Justin Herbert. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's kind of been sabotaged in LA Jalen hurts. I think he took a step back this year, uh, but look, CJ Stroud's really good. And, and, and maybe it's not premature to put him in the top five. Sorry to cut you off. I, I, no, 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 that's okay. And, and I think that it's a, it's a healthy conversation. I mean, I, I think he's there for this reason. When I look at, and Herbert is, is kind of in and around that as well. But when I look at CJ Stroud, and let's compare him to, let's say Jalen Hurts is the comparable. In this league, how many run-first quarterbacks have won Super Bowl? And not run-first, that's, that's a bad way to put it. But these mobile quarterbacks who sometimes you will question their arm and their ability to make, you know, what I call big boy throws, okay? 
Not a lot of quarterbacks who are like that win Super Bowls in today's game. C.J. Stroud is athletic, but he's not going to scramble his way out of trouble. He's going to pass his way out of trouble. And he has made big boy throws, elite throws all season. And I think that C.J. Stroud has another gear to get to as a passer. And I don't think that Jalen Hurts can ever get to that same level. That, that's what is the, the separator for me at this point. And again, C.J. Stroud's only played one year. I look at, the, at what he's done as a rookie on a team that had no expectations. Boy, oh boy, I'd hate to see what the ceiling looks like for him. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what that could look like. One other quarterback I want to ask you about who will also be playing in the playoffs this weekend. I don't, I mean, you don't have him in your top five. I wonder how long until he gets there. Jordan Love, what are your impressions of his uh, season so far? And obviously, he dismantles the Dallas Cowboys last week. He gets the Niners this week. What have been your impressions of him? Well, at the beginning of the season, remember, he started out, I want to say he had six touchdowns to no interceptions through the first three games, three in each win. One was against the Bears, and you're, and you're looking at him going, okay, they did it again. They went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers and now Jordan Love. And again, Jordan Love, not a Hall of Famer yet. Let's not put him in Canton. But he had that stretch in kind of like, right before week 11 for like three, four weeks where the offense couldn't put up any points in the first half. It was dreadful. Everything had to be a comeback. And then you look at him and go, nah, he's just another guy. But from week 11, basically until last week, he's been the best quarterback statistically since that time. And you look at the run that the Packers went on. And the other thing is too, guys, is Jordan Love has been great He's got a little bit of Aaron Rodgers in him when you look at him bouncing on the balls of his feet, some of the sidearm throws. It looks very Aaron Rodgers-esque. He learned a lot from him. Um, the other thing that he has, and it's probably more of a detriment to him rather than a positive, is he's got a really young receiving group. These guys are raw. They've proven to be better than a lot of people expected. And you look at the group and say, okay, he's done a lot with a little. Super talented, the players, they're, they're athletic, um, they can make big plays, but it's not a group that you would look at by week 12 and said, boy, oh boy, I could see this group being one of the best receiving groups in the NFL in the next three years. No, you, you didn't say that. So that's why I think what Jordan Love has done is even more impressive because it's not like he has a Devontae Adams or a Justin Jefferson or a, a Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill. He has none of those guys. He's doing it and having a great – he's had a great year and not one receiver had 1,000 yards. It's a really impressive thing. For me, right now, the way that he's playing, Jordan Love is in my top 10. I would say top 10, and I don't even want to make an argument that he's in, like, I'd say firmly top 12 in my top 10, I think, just off the top of my head. Like, that's how good he's been. And that's another game where I see the spread, nine and a half points, and I'm like, nope. Packers are going to cover that. And I was going through some stuff because, uh, as Logo knows, I, I like to place a wager every once in a while. And when you, if, if you look at what San Fran has done this year, they've won every one, all but one of their games were by double-digit points. So if you think San Fran is going to win, you bet them to cover the 9.5 points. If you think they're not going to cover the points, take the Packers on the money line because they don't really win close football games. They blow teams out or they lose. So it's a really interesting look at the Niners in this game, but I think it's really close. So I guess I have to bet the Packers on the money line based on my own advice. Uh, as for the Sunday slate of games, is the pressure off Detroit now that they've got that first playoff win under their belt? Will it be a, a little bit more of a looser group, you think, when they welcome in Tampa Bay to kick off the Sunday slate? I think so. I think – Playing at home is, is a, a big coup for them at this point. And um, I, I see a team that I predicted they were going to be in the NFC Championship game. I'm going to stick with them. I think they're going to win this game. I think the Bucks proved to be a tougher matchup than people originally might have given them credit for. Another game spread six and a half, and I'm going, oh, I think that game is probably a little bit closer than you would expect. But I, I look at, at this game, and I say – you know, I think Detroit is not that they're playing with house money, but they're playing at a point now where you look at the quarterback. Jared Goff made some excellent throws in that game against the Rams. Amon Ross St. Brown's one of the best wide receivers in the game. You look at the tandem of running backs that they have. 
between David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, that kind of thunder and lightning type of back combo. And Sam Laporta is the best young tight end in the game right now. So I look at that. The defense can be opportunistic. I don't know. I think they're going to play really loose. I think they've taken on the identity of Dan Campbell, which is really cool to me because I think that Dan Campbell is one of the best people in football. You know, we've seen him cry after losses and how much he loves his players. And I think that has reverberated to the players on the field and they play in the image of their coach. And frankly, guys, the image of their city, Detroit, you know, has gotten a bad rap for a long time. The lions have been the laughing stock. I'm, I'm kind of half rooting as I'm a bills fan and I don't really root for other teams and stories, but I'm kind of rooting for the Detroit lions right now. And last but not least, speaking of those bills, we've seen some great matchups between the bills and the chiefs in the postseason the last couple of years, although it feels like maybe uh, these two teams have had better regular seasons heading into these playoff matchups. Are we in for another classic in your mind on Sunday? Oh, sorry, Logo. I got to go. Can't talk about the Bills ahead of the big <laughs> oh game. Oh, my sorry. God. Sorry. Um, my come on. Uh, no, I, I can't do that. I am a journalist first and foremost. No, um, I, it's, a, it's a really interesting game because if Josh Allen wants to be in that conversation of Patrick Mahomes, guess what? He's got to beat him in the playoffs. And Patrick Mahomes is great on the road. He's great everywhere. Like, I... I don't think that where Patrick Mahomes, if he played on Mars, he'd still be great. Like, I don't think it matters. I think what matters is the bills are a little bit banged up on defense. And the only kind of saving grace is, well, the chiefs, they're not that great on offense. And, you know, they scored 26 against the dolphins last week. The dolphins are missing five or six starters on defense and the bills are going to be missing much of the same. The difference is, is that I think that the bills offense you know, against physical teams is way more equipped to play that style than Miami is. We saw Miami get beat up by physical teams all year. They couldn't beat good teams. The difference is, is that the Bills can't beat the bad teams when it matters. They were beating the good teams when it mattered. So I I think that this one, boy, I know it's easy for me to pick the Bills just because I'm a, a Bills homer, but I also think I'm a bit of a realist when it comes to them. If this game becomes a game where a lot of points are scored, I think this is advantage Buffalo. I know the defense is banged up, but I just think that they've just played so well down the stretch and they've battled injuries all year. They've had, you know, they lost Matt Milano early, lost Trey White early, lost Daquan Jones early. And you're like, okay, is this team really going to be able to handle it? And they didn't for a bit. Then they had the bye week. They came back and they were red hot. And guys, they're winning games not traditional Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen ways. Like, yes, Josh Allen was absolutely fantastic against the Steelers. Didn't turn the ball over, had that great touchdown run, which was not a fake slide for anybody listening. He did not fake slide. Um, And it wasn't like Josh Allen had to throw for 350 yards to win the game because the defense couldn't keep up. Like, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think the defense has been opportunistic, and I think the offense is built properly. They can run the ball now and play playoff football. And that is large part Josh Allen, yes. James Cook, Ty Johnson. I mean, I, I think that they're built to win this game and go on on a Super Bowl-type run. But then the other part of me is like, well, you're a Bills fan, and you're not supposed to be this optimistic. So what are you doing? Have PTSD again. Or PTSD, as I like to call it, post-traumatic Bills oh my syndrome. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the Chiefs are not an easy out. Their defense is too good for them to be an easy out. Um, Sean Hockley is officiating the game and you guys can look up the numbers like does not love uh, Sean McDermott a lot based on the penalties that have been called um, and the Chiefs are they have a great record with Sean Hockley as the official and as Donovan pointed out they have a great record with everybody as the official so maybe I shouldn't think that way um, but I'm going to go with the Bills in this one guys I, I have to I have no choice I cannot go against my team and I think this is the year that Josh Allen gets over that Patrick Mahomes hump and he, he gets this team into the AFC championship game. And then we'll see after that. I, I mean, it's going to be really interesting. Um, as long as the snow doesn't fall, I don't like snow games for the Bills. Those aren't fun, uh, but it should be, it should be a really good heavyweight type of game. Uh, looking forward to it, Maddie. Really appreciate the time as always, pal. Uh, enjoy some time off this weekend to rest your voice. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week, pal.
Appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. There you go. Matt Marchese, host of the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network, talking all things NFL with Donovan Bennett weekly here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. We'll take a break, come back on the other side, closing out the hour, taking a look at the next opponent for the Calgary Flames, the Edmonton Oilers. Mark Spector joins us when we return on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Saturday night, the Calgary Flames continue their six-game homestand, welcoming in... For the first time in a long time, their provincial rivals from Edmonton and Julian, those Oilers are, I believe the term is red hot. Might be incendiary at this they, point. It might be. After another win Thursday against the Seattle Kraken, the Edmonton Oilers have won 12 straight. They have climbed into third spot in the Pacific Division and this doesn't look anything like the team that started 2-9-1. And, one. and uh, to help us take a look at what's changed for the Edmonton Oilers, his midseason report is up at sportsnet.ca. Very happy to welcome in down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Senior columnist for sportsnet.ca, Mark Spector, joins us this afternoon. Spec, thanks for the time as always, sir. How are you? Doing great. How are you boys doing? We're doing really good. We're excited for Saturday. Uh Looking forward to, to seeing this Edmonton team in Calgary for, like I mentioned, the first time in a long time, uh, thanks to some weird scheduling last year and an outdoor game this year. But, man, your, uh, your latest up at sportsnet.ca did a really great job of, of breaking down what we've seen from this Oilers group of late. And uh, hard not to, to key in, Spec, on one thing that you said in your article, and that's this wasn't this, this winning streak and this turn for the Oilers like many would imagine would be a McDavid dry led story. But as you dive into in your article, it's much more than that for these Oilers. Yeah, it is. It is for sure. Like, you know, the old, I'm not going to call them tropes because frankly, it's been true. Oftentimes the, 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 you know, the narrative, how about that around the Oilers was they're a power play dependent team. And listen, they had the best power play in the history of power plays last year. So, of course, you're dependent on that. Well, during this 12-game streak, I think they got six power play goals in 12 games. So it has not been outstanding. And the other narrative is that McDavid just carries them with all the four- and five-point nights. And I will say to you that in the last – he's got a 12-game point streak going, but in the last 10 games, he's only had more than one point in one of them. So – you know, what, what does it tell you? The rest of the team is producing. Obviously, Drysdale's getting his points too, but they're getting the goals from everybody. It's coming from all the places. It's not just the power play. And that's making them pretty hard to beat these days, boys. So this turning point for this team, is it really just a matter of just taking out Jay Woodcroft, installing Chris Knobloch as the head coach? That's why everything's gone way better for this team? Is there something else that we're missing that maybe you were able to point out that can explain why the Edmonton Oilers have gone from a team that should have been left for dead into a powerhouse that we all sort of expected at the beginning of the year? Yeah, it's you know what? It's crazy that a, a team this good could play that bad. It's I think it's unfair to just blame the head coach, right? Like that's. I just don't see how that works. You know, there's a lot of happenstance, some injuries early, some guys playing lousy, it kind of snowballed. And then, you know, I, I think when you fire a coach, you guys, it's it's sort of like putting the defibrillators on the body, you know. It shocks everybody. <laughs> it gets everybody awake and woken up. So, sure, did the new coach, Chris Knobloch, change a few things? Yeah. You know, Mark Stewart, the old NHL defenseman, took over the PK. They're like 92% since he grabbed a hold of that. Uh, Paul Coffey's come in, and, and he's got this defense core playing really confidently, and guys are hanging on to pucks and making plays where they used to go off the glass and out. But, you know, McDavid's healthy and good. Drysaddle's playing well. They've got some depth scoring, all that stuff, but... I, I don't want to take too much credit away from the new coach, but if you do credit him with everything, I think it's probably not that fair to just blame the whole thing on Jay Woodcroft. That's that's probably a little bit, you know, a little bit st- striking, don't you think? I can imagine that. Uh, one other player, you mentioned Connor McDavid and, and the tear that he's been on. I just from a distance, seeing him rise up the point leader leaderboard, 
And right now he's tied for sixth. He has as many points as William Nylander does. Uh, only five players have more points than Connor McDavid right now. Nikita Kucherov, Nathan McKinnon, David Pasternak, Artem Panarin, and JT Miller. There's a handful of guys on that list who will definitely be part of the Hart Trophy conversation. I, I have to think that Connor McDavid is at the top of that list, especially if he finds a way to bring the Edmonton Oilers, you know, firmly in a top three spot in the Pacific. How do you see it? Well, you know what the problem with? I mean, I think Connor McDavid's problem is he was he. What's he won? Three hearts, I think. He wins the heart when he wins the Art Ross, and he's just far and away the highest scorer in the league. I think if if McDavid doesn't win the Art Ross Trophy. Uh, I think it opens the door for everybody to vote for other guys. I think there's a little McDavid fatigue among voters, and I, I get it, right? He's been cleaning up on trophies. But you know what? McDavid's game, you guys, it's it's not the same game. You know what he looks like the last 20 games? The Oilers are running a 20-3 and three streak right now. And he's playing the game like Crosby. Like, he's battling. He's hitting people. He's playing a really physical game. I know you never thought you'd hear that about Connor McDavid. Really physical. He was getting into it with Yanni Gord last night. He was getting into it with uh, McCabe and with uh, Matthews uh, and with Riley the other night against Toronto. Like, his points are down, but his game is up. Like, he is playing. He's playing like Crosby. And I think all that t- all the times we talked about it's time to quit winning individual trophies here in Edmonton and start trying to win the big trophy, I think that's where we're at here. Respect, how sustainable is this level of play for the Oilers? And I don't necessarily mean that in terms of, of wins and losses. I don't expect them to rip off you know three more 12-game winning streak as the season goes on. But the style of play and the, the new things that they've implemented that have made them successful – how sustainable are those in the back half of the season in your mind? Yeah, very sustainable, right? I mean, let's. Uh, I'll ask you this. I'll turn it around. Sure. What's more sustainable? Winning on a, what, winning on a twenty-nine percent power play, and a, and a leader that gets three, four, five points every night, or is it more sustainable for a team here that's gone ten games in a row allowing two or less goals? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, it's pretty clear, right there. They figured out how to keep the puck out of their net. That was, to me, you know, I've been watching this team for a long time, and, and I've taken some flack in Edmonton, believe me, <laughs> for looking past all the offensive fireworks and saying, hey, whatever, in May and June, you don't get to score five and six every night. So the difference in this team is they've crossed that barrier. They've, they've at least for, say, 25 games here, they figured out how to keep the puck out of their net, and long enough so that the offense gets you to three or four and that's enough for them now so i think you're right they're not they're 20 and three here they're not going 40 and six but can they sustain the way they're playing oh yeah they can sustain the way they're playing absolutely in conversation with mark specter here on sportsnet 960 i'd like to ask you about zach hyman he had a career season with the oilers last year he looks like he's right back on that pace uh, this season What's it been like uh, seeing Zach Hyman play so well in this system? What makes him get along with everybody, it seems? Why is he such a fit with the Edmonton Oilers? Yeah, well, he's a really good fit with McDavid. So, you know the old story, guys, about it's always hard to find guys that can fit and play with great players. Sid Crosby, right? He went through a million wingers that were supposed to be great with him. And the guys that worked the best were like Chris Kunitz and, you know, Brian Rust now Gensel. Uh, the thing about Zach Hyman is he's a really smart guy. He's a pretty good hockey player, obviously. He's got real good hands in tight. But he's very smart, and he's figured out where to be to maximize playing with the best player in the game. So as they've played a few seasons together here now, he knows where to be, and, you know, he, McDavid gets him the puck. Like you saw the tapping he had last night. Uh, that's just a guy that knew where to stand. So I'm, I'm not trying to – I don't want to take it away from Hyman. He's very good. He's gritty. He scores down low. He goes, He's courageous. He goes into the hard places. But the best thing he's done is he's gone to school on playing hockey with Connor McDavid. He's maximizing being his left winger here. And, you know, it's not a bad place to be, right? Uh, Speck, you mentioned the secondary scorings come through for the Oilers in a sense that they haven't had to have McDavid or Dreisaitl go on some of these ridiculous four or five-point nights. 
uh, that we've seen them go on in the past. Who would you really focus in on as being the, the key guys that have picked up that scoring for the Oilers behind the Hymans, the McDavid's, and the Dreisaitl's for this group? I think you'd have to say, you know, I mean, one of the things that's gone bad in that regard was Connor Brown came on. He was supposed to be a – he was supposed to help to answer the question you just asked me. Yeah. He hasn't scored a goal yet all year. It's been a disaster. But, you know, guys have picked up for him. Warren Fogle, right? I think he's got nine goals already. Uh, uh, Ryan McLeod, a young third-line center guy, real fast. He, you know, every team that has a bunch of high-priced guys, you need your Connor Zaris to come in at a cheap number and produce for you, right? So McLeod's been that guy to a large extent. Evan Bouchard on the blue line, uh, his offensive game is unbelievable, and now his defensive game is good enough. You know, he's never going to be Eric Goodbranson back there, right? But he's playing well enough in his own zone that you can play him 24 minutes. His defense, his offensive game is unbelievably good. So they're getting offense from all those places. You guys had Derek Ryan. He's chipping in a few goals up here, right? Yep. Such a smart, crafty veteran. You know, a guy you want in your team. So it, it's true. They're getting goals from all the guys. And when you when you can't just focus on 29 and 97, obviously you become a lot harder team to beat. I got a big picture question for you uh, with regards to Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, we know him as one of the top five players in the league. At least I had put him there. And this is a guy who, once July first hits, he will uh, be playing out the final year of the of a eight year, sixty eight million dollar deal. I'm just curious how how much conversation has there already been in Edmonton about Leon's future with regards to playing on this team, with regards to a new contract, and the importance of the Oilers maximizing whatever cup window they have right now as maybe as a way to entice him to stay or, or what is the conversation? What is that like with regards to Leon Dreisaitl's future in Edmonton? Yeah, it's a, it's going to be a big one for sure. I wrote a couple pieces on him last week. I uh, sat down with him in Detroit and I'll be honest with you. He, he's speaking out of the playbook. You know, he's not committing <laughs> to I love Edmonton or I want to get out of here. He's not saying either of those things. Um, you know, so it's this is a bit of a different one, guys. Like I think about Matt Kachuk. Clearly, he told the Flames, "I'm not going to stay here." So they made a trade. Johnny Goodrow left it till the very end. I didn't really love that. I thought, I'm not saying they owe Calgary or they owe Edmonton to stay, but I think they owe him an answer so you can do something with him. Is that fair? Yep, 100%. Uh, I can understand that. So, yeah. So to me, Drysital, you know, it's, this one's unique as well, guys, because. They got enough money for Drysaddle. I think that they'll they'll afford Drysaddle if he'll stay. Uh, it's a question of what he wants to do. Does he want to, you know, does he want to go elsewhere? Right? He's a European. Europeans like being in the East. He's got a home in Ontario. He's got a place in Spain. You know, does he want to live it out in the outpost that is Edmonton? Uh, does he want to extend this window here and sign like a three four year deal? Well, him and Connor are absolutely in the middle of their prime. This team we're looking at today is the best Oilers team I've seen since about 87. Uh, maybe he wants to hang around for a little while, but not a long while, right? So all of those things happen. And if he says to, you know, Jeff Jackson, the president, and Ken Holland, the GM, I'm not signing, now the Oilers have a year. they got to do something because you can't let that big an asset walk away, you know, the way Johnny Goodrow did in Calgary. You just can't do it. Uh, incredible. We we got to this point of the conversation without mentioning this guy's name, considering how much talk there was around this position to start the year, Mark. But uh, where has Stuart Skinner been in this uh, revival of the Edmonton Oilers uh, of the last 23 games? Yeah, it's it's crazy goalies, eh? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and people in people in Calgary, you guys know, you guys have had prospects down there that were can't miss, that totally missed. Uh, you know, you got Dustin Wolf, who looks like he's really going to be good. Uh, you know, up in Edmonton, Skinner's this guy. He was a fairly low draft pick. He you know, Don't forget, he was a Calder Trophy finalist last year as a rookie. So, yes, he was. You know, that's you don't do that by mistake, right? It's a pretty good season. But he went in the playoffs. He got too tired. They played him too much, and he wasn't very good. And he started out the season like everybody else. He was awful. So, yeah, there was a 
people panicked up here, man. It was a big deal. They don't have, they didn't have a go- Jack Campbell's a mess. He's in the minors. He's never going to start up here. So yes, there was a great deal of panic around Stu Skinner. And you know, fast forward to today, he's totally found his game. In the since like November 24th, all his goaltending numbers are one, two, or three in the NHL. Uh, and now I'm going to say to you, like goalies are voodoo, right? This guy, he's only 25. Yeah. You know, could could he be? You know, who could he be? Could he be Shesterkin? Could he be better than Markstrom? Could he be Demko? I don't know. Nobody knows, right? No. Nobody knows. But I'll tell you, if you, if if you grew your own starter here, the way the Canucks did, the way the Rangers did, the way Tampa did with Vasilevsky, you know, if you grew a guy in your own system that could take you to a Stanley Cup and play well enough to win it, you know, oh boy, right? Isn't that the dream of every organization in the world? Uh, before we let you go, I uh, have to ask you, a lot of Oilers fans and a lot of observers of the team have looked towards Ken Holland at, at this time of the year as we approach the trade deadline and wondered what he will or won't do regarding this team to, you know, support the Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl era. Will this be an aggressive Ken Holland uh, as much as the cap will allow him in your mind, Mark? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Big time aggressive. Like, again, as much as you can allow. So, I mean, put it into context. The question in Edmonton will be, the question in Edmonton will be, do you trade another first-round pick away? You know, they traded a first-round draft pick, Reed Schaefer, and the first-round pick for Ekholm last year at the deadline. It's a, it was a fantastic trade. Ekholm's really, really good. Uh, your cap space is limited here. You know, your assets are limited, and everybody needs stuff. You know, do you need a backup guy, uh, goaltender? Do you need a third-line center? Do you need a right winger to play with dry settle? Do you, do you wish you had another NHL defenseman to put on your blue line heading into the playoffs? They need all that stuff, and they're not going to be able to get it all. So I guarantee you that Ken Holland here, I sense this is his last deadline as a general manager. Uh, and there is no re- – this isn't the Maple Leafs where we're looking at him and going, ah, I'm not sure, you know. Yeah. This is a team that – this isn't that team. You're looking at the Eminent Oilers and you're saying, if you're not going in now, you might as well fold up your tent and go home. So he will be all in whatever he can afford. And, uh, you know, again, in Calgary, you know, Connie down there, he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. No one's trying to figure out anything in Edmonton. They're in all the way. Mark Spector's latest at Sportsnet.ca, the Oilers' midseason report. Uh, highly recommended reading as he gets set for the Flames and the Oilers. Another edition of the Battle of Alberta Saturday here at the Scotiabank Sound Dome. Mark, always appreciate the time. Great chatting with you as always, sir. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you guys down at the rink tomorrow morning. Appreciate you, Spec. Take care, pal. All right. Mark Spector, senior columnist for Sportsnet.ca, joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. For a look at the opposition tomorrow night, it's the Edmonton Oilers. And look, I I don't know if things would have changed the right way with, with Jay Woodcroft. I, I wonder about that a lot, man. But there's no denying this team that's gone 20-3 and three has been red hot. And like you mentioned early on in that conversation, Julian, this is where they were going to be. It's just a weird way of getting there. That's that's really all it is. And 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 at the risk of 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 alienating all the listeners, it's it's pretty wild and sort of impressive that they got themselves out of that hole. They're teams who start off the year bad and they find themselves with the team that they have unable to lift themselves up and you have to consider the year a write-off. Maybe they have oh, dude, maybe they had could be 500. They yeah. were way worse they than were, that. They were they had a terrible start. And there are a lot of teams who would have been in that position. Maybe they get something near the end and they end up with a still less than respectable finish. For the Oilers to be 2-9-1 and one, and to be in a position where they are among the top three teams in the Pacific Division right now, and if and what, on a 12-game winning streak? And Connor McDavid is, is balling. Zach Hyman is looking amazing next to him. There are so many other players you can get to before you even mention Leon Dreisaitl. It's a, it, I gotta say, for the, uh, just as an outsider's perspective, like the Edmonton Oilers have a lot going for them. For the Flames, they need to contain that. They, they, they took the lumps against the Toronto Maple Leafs the other night. They need to find a way. I mean, you can only hope to contain a player like Connor McDavid, but 
they're going to need to find a way to stop all of their top guns. Oh, I, we, we almost made it through without... I, this is the one thing that bugs me about doing this, and it's not derogatory towards the Flames to say that the Oilers are doing good. I, I cannot stress that enough. Am I going to get in trouble for that? Like we, we have some... There's a text on the text line that... Uh, it's just... <laughs> I'm so, they're 20 and 3. They're a good team. They what do you want us to say? They have one of the biggest turnarounds of an NHL season I've ever seen. What do you want us and to are say? In a playoff spot. What do you want us to say? The Edmonton I, Oilers are a I'm good sorry. team. It's nothing they have against the two Flames. Of the fi- Does that mean that the Calgary Flames are just going to get buried by the Edmonton Oilers? No. It, it's entirely possible. Look, they're on a 12-game winning streak. You expect this to go to 15, 20, their, 25 games? The Calgary Flames could easily step in tomorrow, play as hard as they did against the Toronto Maple Leafs the other night, and win that game. We're not saying that it can't happen, but you're just going to act like we're just going to lie and just not it's acknowledge their, how good the Oilers have been. It's their next opponent, man. They, we do look at good. the opposition all the time. I don't know, man. I try not to get tripped up in that stuff. At the end of the day, if you don't want the real... You don't have to listen to the real. The real. The fact of the matter is, the Edmonton Oilers are a good team. They have Stanley Cup aspirations. It is what it is. Does it mean they're going to accomplish them? It might not mean that. Someone else could go up and win. But right now, we're telling it to you straight. The Edmonton Oilers are a really good team, and it's on the Calgary Flames to find a way to stop that. At least Patty is loyal to the Flames franchise. Don't bring up Patrick Steinberg and all of it, man. I got to get out of here. Don't bring up Steinberg and all of this. By the way, we're what? Not- by the way, we're not loyal to the franchise. We are broadcast partners I'm, with them, but I'm, I'm loyal to me. And in me no only. way, shape, or form are we asked or told that we only have to say positive things about the Flames and can't say anything positive about anybody else. And it's for Tyler the, Bonas, and it's for the I, better. And it's for the better. I don't think I don't think people who are Flames fans who listen to the station, who consume content on the Athletic, who consume Eric Francis's content, who consume content elsewhere, would be served by having the rose-colored glasses on. Take the real, understand where your team is at, but no incredible things could happen like potentially the Calgary Flames being the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow. It wouldn't be far fetched. It's the NHL. It's okay. No, and I'm just we just looked at a team that's that's doing very well. I can't it, it would be so much stupider and me and Julian would look so awful. Come on. If we came on here and we're like yeah, Flames are gonna wipe uh, wipe their their behind with that team coming in. Connor on McDavid, who? They're twenty and three. What do you want me Leon to say? Leon Drysital. I think people would take us less seriously if we came and tried to BS you just because they're rivals with the Flames and tried to tell you that the Oilers weren't playing good hockey right now. Man. Does it mean the Flames can't win tomorrow? No. Do I think it's gonna be a lot of fun? I think it is, but. You know, it is fun though. In all, fear, in all seriousness, though, this is fun. Like this, <laughs> these are fun, man. Lighten up, guys. Anyway. We're trying to have some fun. He's anyway. Julian McKenzie. I'm Logan Gordon. Uh, that puts a wrap on the show for uh, for this week. We will be back on Monday. We'll break down the Flames and the Oilers. Enjoy it. It's Hockey Day in Canada. Thanks to Mark Spector. Thanks to Matt Marchese and Cassie Campbell Pascal for joining us on the program today. You can catch it all on the podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Julian, have a great weekend, man. You too, sir. Uh, thanks to Cam and Shan, Real Kipper and Born, coming up next, Flamestock with Steinberg this afternoon, and the Hitmen are on your radio tonight against the Saskatoon Blades. Enjoy it. It's uh, More coming up next on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.